Welcome to our very first session of our School of Theology. I'm Pastor Fred Greco, and I'm delighted that you could be with us. Uh, I think you all are in for a real treat. As I have been telling people, they won't tell you and embarrass themselves, so I will. There are very few opportunities that you have in order to, to learn from God's Word and to learn about the theology that shapes our lives from a Ph.D. professor of a seminary and a Ph.D. professor and dean of an honors college. These are two men at the top of their fields, quite frankly, in the country. They won't tell you this, but it's true. Um, and when you have material like we have in God's Word, you know it's going to be a great time, and you're going to learn a lot, and it's going to be excellent. I want to encourage you to, uh, to participate, to pay attention, to do the reading, um, to discuss... Especially, you can use the time during the breaks as well to have conversations. I want to encourage you that this is a great opportunity uh, for learning, and we have decided you know, to make it so. And so before we get started, though, I think we need to do first, we need to ask the Lord for His blessing, that He would be with us and encourage us, give us sharp minds at what is, I think, the end of a long day for many of us. So let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have called us into Your presence. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word that is completely without error and sufficient for all of faith and life. And Lord, we ask this evening that You would bless us and encourage us, that You would remind us that You are sovereign, that You are in control, and that You will be a blessing to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Rankin? Can you hear me? Oh, excellent. Oh, very good. Well, I'd like to welcome you all where our format uh, each week will be very similar. Uh, we'll begin with uh, the reading of a passage of Scripture and a song together and a prayer. And then we'll dry, dive into the topic at hand. Uh, I've got a little bit of housekeeping that we'll have to do. And in these first uh, couple of weeks, we're teething and making sure systems work and uh, sound works and that sort of thing. Uh, we'll take a break at an appropriate point about halfway through. And we've got uh, coffee uh, and water here to enjoy, as well as uh, some of the other resources for the uh, class set out over on the side table for you to look at. Uh, and then after a 10-minute break, which we're sure will probably take 15 minutes, uh, then we'll uh, come back together and have a time in which uh, uh, Dr. Stacy uh, Robert will be leading us in World and Life View Reflection on the content and application of the area that we're discussing together. So I hope it'll be a fun time. We, we want everybody to sit near enough to front that we can interact with each other. Um, we've debated about whether to use a microphone, but we don't. We we need a uh, four-year-old microphone boy to run that around. You know, if we do, we we haven't chosen to do that tonight. But uh, hopefully, we'll be able to hear each other and encourage each other in the Lord. Our um, our evening begins tonight with a reading from First uh, Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four, beginning with verse nine. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through the apostolic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, 
so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Preserve in the, uh, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Oh, our Father and our God, it's a joyful thing for us to come together and study your word. You are true and gracious. You are kind and merciful. You've set your love upon your people. And you have blessed us by giving us the word incarnate as well as your word son. Your word gives us comfort. Your word gives us encouragement and direction. Your word, O heavenly Father, indeed changes and and impacts us by your grace. You make us over more and more into the image of your Son incarnate. And so help us, we pray, as we study these things together, as we think about studying your word, that indeed we might do so in a way that would please the Father and honor the Son and bring glory to the Spirit. In the name of our triune God, we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. It's uh, good for us to be together and to come together to uh, study the Word of God and study about the Word of God. I, I want to just take a second and introduce Bob and myself. Uh, my name is Duncan Rankin. Uh, my studies in theology began after having studied in uh, the sciences and engineering first. Uh, my first career was in ceramic or materials engineering, and I did work uh, at Clemson University and then worked at uh, Savannah River National Labs and then on to MIT in Boston. Uh, before walking into my prof's office one day, uh, Professor Kingry, and saying, you know, I really like it here, but I need a year's leave of absence. And he said, what do you need that for? And I said, I want to go to seminary. And he said, what do you want to do a fool thing like that for? And I said, well, I, I just feel like I, it's something I need to do. And I said, he said, well, all right, I'll see you in a year. And I went off to uh, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis and ended up resigning my post back in Boston, telling him that the best preparation for theological studies was a good hard course in thermodynamics. So I appreciated the studies he had invested in me. I ended up uh, uh, not finishing at Covenant, but doing two years there, and then ended up uh, doing my internship in the PCA and on to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, where I was a student finishing out my MDiv work and began THM work when I was called in the dean's office one day, and they said, we want you to to go on and... uh, do your Ph.D. studies, and come back and teach. And so my wife and I packed up everything we had and sold things, everything we had, and packed up what was left and moved uh, first to Aberdeen. But when we got there, uh, the faculty was liberal and neo-Orthodox, and the students seemed to uh, sort of be the uh, apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic walking zombie types that uh, had sort of uh, uh, could parrot what they had heard, but they had no understanding of the word. So I uh, ended up matriculating instead at the University of Edinburgh, and there were evangelicals on the faculty there at the main university as well as liberals. So uh, the Lord blessed me with uh, two evangelical scholars to work under, and um, I, I owe them a great debt. Uh, I worked uh, in the area of union with Christ in modern uh, Scottish theology, a modern Scottish theologian by the name of T.F. Torrance, but did a lot of work on Calvin and Athanasius and some other characters as well. Uh, I taught at Reformed Seminary for 10 years full-time, and then have been pastoring for about 15 years since then and teaching part-time and continue to do some of that teaching at RTS's campus here at H- in the Houston area, as well as over uh, at uh, Reformation Bible College that Ligonier Ministries has started in Orlando. So it's a, a pleasure to be here with you. Um, if you have uh, particular questions more widely in theology than what we're covering 
tonight or in the next few weeks that we're meeting together, then I'll be happy to get with you and uh, uh, talk about those things and pray about them with you. Uh, we will be looking at introduction to theological studies here, and then the, the School of Theology will continue to roll, and we'll go through the topics of Revelation and Scripture, and then we'll go to the doctrine of God proper, including the Trinity, and then we'll go on to uh, the topic of man, creation and providence and man and sin and the fall, and then we'll come to the topic of Christology, uh, the person and work of Christ, and then the salvation, which will include justification and sanctification and glorification and other topics. We'll talk about the church and the sacraments that the Lord has given us. And we'll eventually, uh, at some uh, misty or period uh, hidden up in the mist uh, uh, in front of us, end up in the topic of last things or eschatology. And so if you stick with the program for four years, you can find out what, uh, when the Lord's coming back. Uh, is it pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill? I, frankly, I'm a pan-mill. I think it will all pan out in the end. All right. And uh, Robert Stacy is, is uh, also uh, teaching in the course. Robert, would you introduce yourself to everyone? My name is uh, Dr. Robert Stacy. Uh, I'm a professor and dean of the Honors College at Houston Baptist University uh, here in Houston. And we've actually been here in the area for about uh, three and a half years now. It seems like I was having this discussion with a colleague today. It feels like I've been here forever. I really can't remember not being in Houston. But, um, but this, that's a good thing because it means we've, uh, we've really kind of put our roots down here and, and, and we love being here. My, uh, my circuitous route at getting to this particular podium for this kind of subject, my, my background is in, uh, is in political science. I have a Ph.D. in government, which does not qualify me to be here at all. Uh, but one of the things that always sort of struck me throughout my own education and then in my own sort of uh, professional work was that, you know, all these, everything is connected. You pull on one thread, it, you know, it pulls on something else. And, and so the study of government always led me to, to other interests and other things, you know, literature, uh, history, all sorts of subjects. And, and really, the one area where all these things come together is in theology and scripture. That's, that's you know, the God who made it all. It turns out that there's a reason for all these connections. There really is kind of a, there's a pattern, there's a, there's a logic to it all. That's uh, from the creator's mind. And so that's always been my interest and my intrigue and, and what's driven my own studies and my own research and writing. And, and so it, it, it's really driven me to the questions of, of worldview and, and, you know, how do we apply these things to our lives and, and make use of this and, and uh, use it to become better servants of our Savior. And so that's, a, that's, that's sort of my impetus. That's my drive. And looking forward to the next, uh, I don't know how long we're going to be here together. It's a, it's a four-year plan, so I hope you stick it out. Uh, I'd love to be here four years from tonight with all these faces and all of you here having persevered to the end, that would be awesome. We would be a, a much stronger church for it. But I'm looking forward to, to what God does and what we can do together. So thank you very much for coming tonight. Well, our topic is uh, introduction to theological studies. And, and as you can see, we've got a, uh, a number of uh, subtopics to cover. But we first need to make sure that everyone knows when not to show up. Um, You've done well by coming tonight. This is the second Wednesday uh, in November, and we'll be meeting on the fourth Wednesday in November, which will be in two more weeks, and then we'll be meeting on the second Wednesday in December, which will be in four weeks. But if you come right after Santa Claus, you'll be here all by yourself, and uh, no one else will be here. So we'll spend three weeks looking at studies, uh, the, the, the topic of the study of theology, and then we'll move directly into Revelation and Scripture after the new year. 
And that should be a, a very interesting and provocative time because, of course, the basis of Christian theology is in God speaking to us and uh, God's revelation, uh, particularly in that inscripturated revelation where God in his special revelation speaks through his prophets and apostles of old and, and through his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has sent them. And so uh, scripture will be very much at the heart of everything that we do in the School of Theology, but particularly a focus after the new year. So uh, look forward to that topic together. Uh, the core text for the class is bite-sized theology. This is, this is not a burdensome thing. Uh, it is a, intentionally a very uh, short and easy text, just an entree text so that everyone in the class uh, who comes can uh, have a stab at reading it. It's got a little less than a, 100 pages that you have to read, and uh, the chapters are short. Uh, the print is large, and it's a, a very sound and basic book put out by Evangelical Press. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, Peter Jeffrey is a sound author, and so I encourage this for you to help encourage the class. Um, I looked out on the Internet, you know, and sometimes you see, see books for a little cheaper amount, but I cut a deal with a PCA bookshop in Atlanta, and, and so we have 25 copies of this uh, for a fiver, as they say, for five bucks. Chelsea Campbell is going to collect the money, and uh, if uh, you would like to get one of those, feel, feel free to do so. And um, if you want to use one in a family, that's fine. If you want to use more than that, there are another 16 or 18 that they have that I can get. So if we run short, Chelsea, if you'll just uh, take down hash marks of how many more I need to get, that'll be great. Uh, and in addition to this kind of core text that we're asking everyone to read, then I, we have a series of books that unabashedly we're just um, we're trying to tempt you into looking at. Uh, there are two other volumes that are that are nice and bite-sized. One is J.I. Packer's book, um, Concise Theology, and we have that over here on the communion table to look at. And then we also have Donald McLeod's Faith to Live By. It's a bigger volume, a little bit more meaty. Um, the, Donald McLeod is one of the finest theologians alive today. He is, um, uh, his, but his native tongue is not English. His native tongue is Gallic. He grew up in a home that was Gallic-speaking, so his writing is all in a second language. And so it tends to have... Sometimes that kind of British turn of phrase and can be uh, um, misinterpreted by English uh, American ears sometimes. But he's also a journalist, and so he, he sharpens his pen quite well. And uh, not a lot of technical language in the volume of Faith to Live By, but a very encouraging one to read uh, that will go follow along with the overall course. And then if you... Uh, yes. Um, we, have, uh, uh, we have them all in the syllabus which I, th I think has been widely distributed. If you need a copy of the syllabus, then see me afterwards or during the break, and we can get uh, uh, copies of that. It has all the ordering information about the books as well. Thank you. Uh, the, the suggested text, if we were doing something uh, on a larger scale, if you said, I want something a bit more meaty, then uh, the two copies over on the table in the middle are Burkhoff's Systematic Theology and Heppe's Reformed Dogmatics. Uh, these are serious seminary-level texts. Um, somebody was joking uh, before all came in, you know, who would read something like this? Well, they held up Burkhoff's uh, uh, Systematic Theology. When I was in college at Clemson, there was a whole set of us in the Cope Dorma, uh, some good Reformed Baptist guys and some good Presbyterians and some others that were just curious. And we would get together on Thursday nights uh, after dinner, and we would pop popcorn and sit around and read a couple of par paragraphs from Burkhoff's uh, uh, text. We called it Burkhoff's Bedtime Stories. So we'd read a couple of paragraphs, and then we'd fight about it. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a good time. Um, it is a lot like a cookbook. It's the kind of thing that you would use as a manual and look stuff up in. 
but uh, it's, uh, it's one of the finest and covers the waterfront and very biblical. You know, you really need a Bible in one hand to look up the references. Uh, Heppy's Dogmatics is a little strange. I don't know any book like it in the world. Um, uh, Heinrich Heppy was a German Reformed historian, and uh, just, I think, because he was bored, he decided that we go to all the theological libraries in Europe and collect the 100 most interesting uh, theological works uh, from the period of Calvin to the Westminster Assembly. And almost all these works were in Latin, so he, he gathered these all in one room and he turned them all to the same page on, on the same topic. And he read this section on Scripture or on God or on justification or on the sacraments. And then he decided which ones said the most uh, uh, profound things or put put the doctrine in the most interesting and pointed kind of way. And he Xeroxed, uh, as it were. Um, he copied uh, those most interesting four, five, six sections out of those 100 works. And he put them in his book in Latin. And then he glued them together with his own German little uh, sentences to, to make the whole thing flow. And then there was a guy in Edinburgh by the name of G.T. Chompson who uh, the Lord sent very kindly to translate the whole mess into English. And uh, it has been out of print for donkey's years, and it's back in print now by uh, Chop Shop over in, um, uh, over in Denver called uh, Whip and Stock. Uh, it's not a great publisher, but uh, for the right amount, they'll publish almost anything. So they, they published Heppy's Reform Dogmatics. It's a fine volume. It's one of the thicker ones on the table, and I commend it to you. Uh, you will either love it or hate it. Uh, if you're kind of a left-brain person, it will all make sense to you because it's very orderly. If you're more artsy-fartsy and more right-brain, uh, you will think this is a demonic book and uh, is sent to a press. And in that case, don't buy it because it won't help you. But uh, I just commend it to you. It's a very helpful volume. And then uh, for the overachievers among us, that is, those who really have insomnia, they have nothing better to do with their life, uh, then you can get uh, two other uh, fine works. Uh, how can I say anything but wonderful things about Calvin's uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion? Uh, Calvin wrote it in, in uh, Latin. He translated also into French, put, it in ver put in some very uh, homey illustrations. So there was an addition for the common people that ended up setting the grammar of modern French language today. Uh, the Latin text was read all over the world. Uh, it was a book that uh, started off as a fairly humble tome, and he was a young man when he wrote it, and every, year, every few years he kept adding to it, and it got bigger and bigger. Um, the definitive translation is the one we have a picture up here of its... Uh, the McNeil Battles edition. Uh, uh, Battles translated it. McDeal, McNeil edited it and put a lot of interesting historical footnotes in. Uh, and it's uh, the most readable of the text. You can find older translations out there on the Internet for free in PDF form. Uh, but, of course, as a pure academic, I would tell you to never get those. You need to get the uh, definitive, uh, definitive text. Westminster Seminary Bookshop in Philadelphia uh, has the cheapest deal that I'm aware of for them for about 50 bucks, I think it is, delivered. So uh, we have that in the syllabus as well. We would commend it to you uh, if you would uh, like to do so. The, the other volumes, uh, it's a set of four, Villamus Abrekel, and I, I'll save for next week putting a picture of Abrekel up on the screen. Abrekel is a dear Christian man. As you read his book, you think he must be the most beautiful person alive. It's a, it's a, a very engaging text. You're reading along in theology, and all of a sudden he says, Oh, reader, can't you see the beauties and the glories of Christ here in this doctrine? Can't you see how this is of great use in your Christian life? It's a wonderful application, warm. That's the reason I've chosen it uh, as a recommended overachiever text. Uh, the only problem is, is that Villamus Abrekel was one of the most ugly men alive. He really kind of looks like a mule. Uh, 
He's an ugly guy. But uh, it shows you that the Lord levels the table. Uh, he had a great heart, and so he couldn't be uh, all beautiful. See, some of us you lose hair, and that's okay. Uh, we have this in PDF. Um, the guys that, uh, uh, at the end of the 20th century, translated it into modern English directly from the Dutch, uh, did a wonderful job in that. It got widely used, and they loved the teaching to be disseminated, and they just hung it up on the Internet free for anybody who wants it. So if you've got a, a computer or a pad device or something, uh, we've got the link there in the syllabus, and you can get a copy of it. Uh, what we'll be covering in the course this, in these three weeks, we'll be looking together at uh, theology and piety tonight and what the definition of theology is So, what in the world is it we're talking about. And then we'll look at the arrangement of theology. This is an interesting question because there are a lot of subparts to theology. You know, it's like uh, what do you begin grabbing onto first, the tail of the dog or the leg of the dog or the snout of the dog or the ear of the dog? Where, where do you begin? And there are a variety of opinions on that. Then the nature of theology and its context and all through, we'll be looking at the relevance of theology for uh, Christian living in the modern world. So it's going to be a fun class. Um, I will confess to you that the first three weeks um, can involve a little bit more abstract heavy going in that we're thinking about how to study the Bible and God and man and Christ. Oftentimes, it's just a lot more fun to jump in and study God and man and Christ we want in this course to make sure that we do it step by step by step. So we're going to think about how we're going to think about these things. And uh, hopefully, if I bore you too much by the middle of each class period, then Bob will wake you up at the end and everything will be fine. So let's look at the connection between theology and piety. Theology and piety. Uh, there is a... Uh, the work by Calvin, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And uh, in book one, in chapter two, in section one, Calvin emphasizes the importance of not just studying theology for theology's sake, not just coming to the topic of the study of God with any old attitude, but the absolute, non-negotiable, absolutely critical relevance of approaching God and the study of God with spiritual humility, that we need to come before the Lord recognizing that he is God and we are not, recognizing that he is our creator and we are his creatures, recognizing that he is king and Lord of all and that we are not kings and lords even of our little domains in which we live and that we are sinners, that we are those who have offended God by thought, in thought, word, and deed. And that we, therefore, if we are to begin to study him properly, we must do so with piety, with humility, come before him in reverence, love him with our whole hearts. And, of course, that puts us in a very difficult position because by nature we're dead in our sins. And we, frankly, can't do that very well. We can't even really do it at all. So we need his grace and his blessing and his transformation in our life to be able to properly and even logically approach the study of God. It's a strange thing when we say it, perhaps. But yet if you muse and chew on that for a while, if you chew that cud, I think you'll begin to see, even in a reflection on your own life and on your own interaction 
with your children and your parents and your co-workers and your neighbors that this must be true. As an argument from the lesser to the greater, if you don't so easily understand your spouse, if you never talk to them, if you never have a real relationship with them, if you don't love them from the heart, if you don't care for them more than you care for yourself, if lacking those qualities of a normal kind of marital relationship or an ideal marital relationship, if you lack those, then you are probably going to stumble in miscommunication one with another. And you won't understand them and they won't understand you. The same thing's true with uh, neighbors and coworkers. Uh, you may um, have things in common with them. You may be working on common projects. You may share a property line. Uh, you may even go to a neighborhood picnic with them. But if you never speak to them, if you never smile at them, if you never ask them how they are, if you never listen to them, if you never show them true heartfelt love, then you probably won't understand them and their world very well. You probably won't have much of a relationship with them or get along with them. They won't make much sense at times. And you'll be very prone to misunderstand. And if it's true about your spouse and it's true about your neighbor, then it's also true about God. We come to him as one who is above us and greater than we are. And we come as those who are broken and sinners. And so if our relationship is not right with him, then how is it that we think for one moment that we will understand truly who he is and how we should think about him and live towards him? Is it not true that part of the devotion that we owe him is to know him as well as to love him? You know, there's that... Uh, there's that great uh, soliloquy, is it, in, is it in Shakespeare? To know him is to love him. Um, we've had uh, satires on this before in the movies uh, and in sitcoms. And it, but it is true. To really love, you have to know. And to really know, you have to love. Both go together. And so as we do our study of God, we have to first of all look ourselves in the mirror and realize that we only by his grace have the equipment and the furniture and the instruments and the ability and the propensity and the desire to really know him as we ought. B.B. Warfield, the great uh, Princeton, Princeton theologian uh, at the uh, turn of the 19th to the 20th century, uh, New Testament professor who did a great deal of systematic work as well, uh, he wrote a wonderful little volume. You can find it on the Internet. It's called, uh, um, as is mentioned, A Religious Life of Theological Students. And, and what he does in this text is recognizes the fact that uh, we have to be very careful how we select ministers and seminary professors and teachers in the church. That we oftentimes have a desire to choose um, the bright boy about town. That is, uh, the person who's respectable in some outward sense, who dresses according to some uh, cultural convention, uh, who has the uh, attention and interest of the community. You know, a bright-eyed lad. So someone who... Uh, uh, we really would enjoy uh, having them come by the house and interact with them and chat with them. That, that, that's the kind of person that we need uh, uh, leading and teaching and preaching in the church. And B.B. Warfield says, you know, all those are very nice things. It's wonderful if we have people of some culture and they can use the Queen's English and, and they know how to shine their shoes and they know how to comb their hair. That's, that's great to have them. But, you know, if they don't know the Lord, 
if they don't love him, if they don't trust in him for their salvation, then they're going to do nothing but lead the people of God astray. B.B. Warfield warns us at the highest of levels of the importance of true heartfelt piety when it comes to knowing God and serving him. And so as we begin the process of doing theological studies together, we have to make sure that we take a deep breath and we look at our own relationship with the Lord, that we look at him, we look ourselves in the mirror and ask the question, what kind of relationship do we have with him? Do we love him? Do I trust him? Is he my savior? Do I cry out to him for the forgiveness of my sins? Or do I think that I am pure and lily white, all standing on my own two feet? Do we think we we need God's help to be able to understand who he is? Or do we think that in our arrogance we're bigger than he is and he's under our microscope and we will control him as we will? Oh, that difference is an enormous one. Some of the most humble and godly people that I have ever met, I have met in theological seminaries and in divinity halls. And some of the most arrogant, wicked, and evil people that I have ever met in my life, I have met in seminaries and in divinity halls. And um, I hear by rumor that it's not just the three or four that I've been in that are that way, but that it's that way across the board because of this basic theological truth. So where you stand with the Lord is an important question that we have to begin with. There's a gap between where you are by nature and where God himself is. We are sinful human beings. We're we're sons and daughters of our first father Adam and our first mother Eve. We are separated from God, and God is holy and righteous and pure. And there is nothing that we can do, even religiosity, even the study of the Bible, even the study of theology in God is not sufficient to bridge that gap between God and man. It's not just an ontological gap, a a gap of being. It's also a moral and ethical gap. We fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us in Romans. And that's meant to tell us that we need to take a break. Let's take a break. Well, thank you for all coming back. That's great. <laughs> I wasn't sure who would just bolt for the door, but I'm glad you're still here. Uh, we have a long way to go, um, just about four more years, and we're almost done. We, uh, as, as Dr. Rankin said, our, our plan here is to kind of uh, sort of divide up our time together. Um, you've got an excellent – now, this, this, by the way, this is just the first finger of, of Dr. Rankin's uh, ex- exposition on sort of uh, the introduction of theology. So there is definitely more of that to come in the weeks to come. Uh, but our, our sort of our, our methodology here is to kind of divide the class into two periods, two time periods like this, uh, where Dr. Rankin will present uh, some, some, you know, some powerful information for you there. Our purpose here in the second half is to be a little more interactive, a little more discursive, uh, because we want you to be, I mean, it's, you know, we're taking this very seriously. We want you to be involved in the class. So uh, my job here is not to deliver a lecture to you so much as to facilitate kind of a, a discussion and, a, and, and some sort of some reflective thought on what we've heard and, and, and sort of, you know, expand that out into how, we, what this, what does this, it mean for us? What is it, how does it affect our lives? Uh, what's this have to do with, you know, what I'm doing today? So uh, not that that's a difficult thing, but, but we need to talk about it. 
And so I want to encourage you from the outset, um, don't be a wallflower. You know, I, I know that for some of you it's not in your character. I, 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 I've been teaching a long time now. I have taught every kind of student you can possibly imagine. And I know for some it's just not in one's character to, to engage in that kind of interaction. But, but I want you to sort of lay that aside. It's, this is a great opportunity you have here to, to have this discussion in a friendly place. I promise not to be mean to you. I'm not giving you a grade. This is the big difference. When I go to the university, uh, those students live in per perpetual fear of what I'm going to do to them. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But in this case, you, you need fear nothing. So ask your questions. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pose some questions to you. You, give, you know, give us your feedback. Give us your responses. And, and we can talk together. And we can kind of sort of use the conversation to kind of get to a better understanding together of, uh, of the material we're talking about here. I also have to warn you. Uh, this is really for, for Pastor Greco. I'm sort of of the peripatetic school of, of pedagogy. Uh, I can't stand still. It's just not in my, I can't do it. So I'll be moving around. I'll be distracting you by, by all sorts of extraneous motion. Uh, so please just sort of overlook that and um, try to, you know, keep your eyes on me. This really is, the, is, is what Dr. Rankin initially kind of posed for us, but I want us to sort of think about this. Why even bother to study theology? It might sound like, I mean, here you all are, right? So obviously on some level, you've made a decision to take some of your time at least to consider the possibility of delving into a topic that, frankly, you understand, it kind of scares off a lot of people. There are many people, let me go a step further, there are many Christians who, if you were to say, hey, let's, let's do some serious theological study, ooh, I'm not sure I'm interested in that. That's, I mean, I'll go to church and maybe even sing a few songs with you, but theology, that has many syllables in it. It's, it's stuff I don't want to think about. It's, it's off-putting in, in many ways. So let me simply start by asking you, why should we? Why bother? What, what's in it for us, as it were? Yeah, I love that expression, theology, theology leads to doxology. That is, if we want to rightly understand God, you've got to go through the, the effort, the work of doing it, right? It doesn't just fall into your lap. Dr. Rankin said it earlier. It's our nature these days. Since the fall, we've had this problem. We do not automatically orient ourselves towards God. We are not necessarily right with him and in full knowledge of him the way we ought to be from the get-go. It actually takes work. It's labor now for us. And that's, for whatever that's worth, it is good for us to come into a right understanding of God. What else might motivate us? What might motivate you? I mean, here you all are. All of you made it, like I said, you made a choice to be here. Why did you, why did you do it? Yeah, it has become a very unpopular thing, and you're right. But at the same time, though, understanding God and who he is and what he's done, boy, is there, is there a bigger, more moving task than that? I would argue no. What would you say? Let me ask you like this, maybe. What would you say to someone who says, look, you know, I read my Bible. You know, I have my quiet time. I say my prayers. I really don't need to... You know, I don't need to sort of systematically study theology. I, I'm doing my part. I'm doing my bit. I go to church. What would you say to such a person? 
Yeah, I, I, I like the way you put that. They want the fluff, right? The, 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 the substantial part, maybe not so much. It might mean we're responsible for more, right? As the more you know, sort of the more responsible you become for knowing. And then, then suddenly we have to, you know, change behavior. We need to, you know, think about our lives differently. We may make different choices. Responsibility comes with knowing that, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. We need to be well versed because there's a lot of bad theology that your friends and neighbors have. And if you don't understand how to talk to it, mm -hmm. then you just get you get at loggerheads and you can't move beyond it. Yeah, I don't know if this I don't know. If this has changed much. I imagine the, the earliest Christians had the same problem. They were surrounded by people who believed all sorts of crazy stuff. But we do live in a culture, it's kind of a post Christian culture, as in there was a time when America was largely, I'm not saying everybody was a Christian, but it was kind of a Christian environment, right? Everybody kind of, they, they knew the stories, they, they understood the basics, even if they didn't believe it, they kind of knew what it was. We're kind of moving past that now, so that now almost anything goes. I mean, the conversations you have with your neighbor, they, they, they will believe all sorts of crazy things. And that way it's not unlike, say, you know, Rome of, of the, you know, the first or second century. Jamie, you had your hand up too, right? That's right. I, having studied a lot of philosophy in my career, I can tell you there's a lot of, it's almost all bad, actually. <laughs> bad certainly outweighs the good. But you're right, having an alternative to that is very, very valuable. If you ever thought about this, how many times in Scripture are we commanded to know God? I mean, next time you're in your Bible, just think about it for a few moments and, you know, see how often it pops up. It's a lot more than given our culture, given our understanding of, of sort of how do we Americans usually relate with God. We feel him. We might experience him. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. But what does Scripture say? Frequently we're told to know God. And I'm not saying it's simply intellectual exercise. That, that word know often means a, something much more intimate. It's not a superficial kind of, you know, I read that, I'm done. It's, it's, but it's a full, comprehensive relationship and knowledge, right? In the way that, that a husband and wife know one another, right? It's, it's intimate, but it's not, it can't be superficial, right? That's, that's kind of the point here. It's not just sort of a, you know, I, I take a test and I'm done. No, no, no. We need to know our maker, know our Lord and our Savior. And that's like, like Steve said, it's a noble endeavor when we can do it. I came across when I was just... Um, just doing some background work for tonight. I came across a Peanuts cartoon. I realize there are some people in this room who are too young to know about Peanuts. It was a cartoon in the newspaper years and years and years ago. Some of you... Um, <laughs> we're not that far. <laughs> I was just about to say there were some of you who remember when it was new, but I don't want to go that route. <laughs> What's a newspaper, exactly? <laughs> But I came across this comic, and it's a, it's, it's a, the scene is, is Lucy and Linus uh, standing in a window looking out into a it's, – it's just pouring down rain outside. And Lucy basically says, wow, it's, you know, it's really coming down. Do you think it will ever stop, or is it going to flood the whole world? And Linus, 
who's kind of a kind of a philosopher of sorts, he says it will never do that. It says in the ninth chapter of Genesis. Now Charles Schultz wrote, wrote all this out. God promised Noah that he, he would never flood the world again, and the sign of the, of that promise is the rainbow. It's pretty pretty good theology there. And 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 Lucy says, oh, thank you so much. You've taken a great load off my mind. And what does Linus say? Sound theology has a way of doing that. It's actually a pretty profound insight. The more we know God, in a way, the more comforted we become. Right? Knowing him is not, so it's, it's, is it a kind of, do we have an obligation to our maker? We certainly do. But it turns out that in pursuing sort of what we ought, we also get what is good. That's, that's, just, that's part of the beauty of Christianity. God loves us enough that sort of the, the tasks he, give us, he gives us are actually beneficial to us. It might not even seem that way at the outset. The tasks he gives us are actually beneficial for us. I don't remember. That was like 30 seconds ago. It's recorded. <laughs> You can check the transcript. That's right. <laughs> some of you have experienced this probably more directly than, than some others. If, if you were born into the Presbyterian church, the notion of, of theology and giving time to it, giving effort to it, does not necessarily strike you as an odd thing. Probably even a, It's probably a good thing. I was not born into the Presbyterian Church. I, I, I do not. I can't. I can't claim that legacy. I didn't become a Christian until I was 23 years old. So I, I remember, first of all, what it's like not to believe, not to have Christ in my life, and that's horrifying. I also know what it's like to sort of be introduced to the study of theology. It wasn't something that happened when I was young. It's something that happened when I was an adult. I also, though, distinctly know that there are people as we said, both in the church and out of the church, who reject outright the study of theology. One ought not do it. I'm saying I know I, frankly, in some cases, I, I have worked with at other institutions. I've worked with Christians who say you shouldn't do that. Theology is just, it's, 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 it's a waste of your time. Have any of you encountered that before? Like people who actually say you ought to flee it. What, why do people say these things? Wow. Uh, no, the, the, the experience that I've been I've seen is that when people say they ought, someone ought to, ought to flee the study of theology, it's because their experience has been that people who study it, they either fall they can they have a tendency. Some of them have a tendency to fall away, and not walk out their Christian yeah, experience. Exactly. You know, I, I, Dr. Rankin even kind of referenced something like that earlier. That actually happens. I mean, why do people say that? Because, indeed, sometimes that is exactly what happens. It is, unfortunately, a not uncommon story that somebody goes off to seminary or goes off to divinity school and comes out of there not believing anything. And so you can see, at least in a very simplistic way, well, let's see. He studied theology. He walked away from the faith. Theology must mean I walk away from the faith. That's simplistic, right? But you can sort of see at least the, the faulty logic of it. Now, that doesn't, you understand what I'm saying, does not let us off the hook. That does not mean that we don't study because it could be dangerous. 
all sorts of things are dangerous. But I'll tell you, you will get pushback from some of your friends, from family members, from people you know. The more you say, you know, I'm really interested in, in understanding God, and, and particularly I want to I dig into some, some of those books on that, on that shelf over there, the response is often going to be, oh, don't waste your time with that sort of thing. In fact, you probably should run in the other direction. Now, I can tell you, Dr. Rankin and I wouldn't be up here if we didn't think that it was productive. It is productive. But we live in a culture, you understand, that does not see a lot of value in it. In fact, even among our brothers and sisters in Christ, there will be some who will tell you to run away. I'm going to bet there are people in this room who have actually had that conversation or something like it, where you were told, no, don't, don't study too deeply. You've got to feel God. You've got to experience God. Again, I want to stress, I'm not saying that we have no emotional connection to God. Of course we do. We're told to know him. We're also told to love him. All right? So those things go together. But at the same time, you can't simply emote. You must also know. And so that's a big part of what we're trying to do here uh, over, these, um, over these courses. Let me ask you, this is always good to get, get up front. So here we are in the first night. This is a good question. Um, you won't offend me. You will not offend me by anything you say. And I don't want to speak for Dr. Rankin, but he has a thick skin. I can tell. Well, he has a few bruises, right? And he's only been here a few months. What do you? What do you? I mean, you're the ones giving up your night to be here, right? What do you expect to happen here over the next months? I mean. What are you hoping will be the outcome for you? That's a, I know it's a broad and open-ended question. I, I do understand that, but I, I'm curious to know. I know, in light of all of the political issues that are going on right now, I mean, I know where I stand. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to effectively pull those two items together, as you said. I mean, government and politics, it leads us to the Lord because God is sovereignly in control of everything. But I am seeing more and more in my environment at work a very nervous, restless, fearful um, scope going on because of the unknown. And I want to be able to learn to effectively communicate to those around me the peace that I have within me. And that peace that I know that I have and learning to communicate that effectively can only come from getting deeper into God's word and knowing more of who he is. So that's what I'm seeking to really get out of this and, and, and being a witness in our community, in our neighborhood, and in our workplaces. That's beautiful. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Somebody else had a hand up on this side of the room? Was I wrong about that? Sometimes I think I see hands when I don't. I'm always optimistic. What about, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what, am I, what am I expecting from this class is uh, conformity to Christ. And I heard uh, R.C. Sproul say, um, you're not more spiritual mature, uh, mature because you don't care about other spirituality. And in my sphere that I have, I, I care about those that I love, and I want them also to grow in, in the knowledge of the Lord. So. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you put it that way. We don't just we don't just we don't just build this. We don't just acquire knowledge of God. We don't just develop that relationship. We don't do all this simply to consume it ourselves, right? I mean, that would actually be kind of contrary to the teaching of Scripture itself. We do it because yes, it's good for us, but also 
it helps us to be a witness. This is not nobody. Nobody can be a Christian in isolation, right? There's no such thing. It doesn't work that way. We must always be looking outward. I mean, what is I, I love this when Christ is asked, "What's the greatest commandment?" You all know the answer he gives, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what does he say? He doesn't. He wasn't asked for two, but he quickly follows up with another. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that as yourself is there as a kind of, it helps us understand, right? Because I know how I love myself. I don't need to be taught that. I, I've, I've mastered self-love. I'm really good at it. And it's, it, it helps. But he, you know how you do that? With, do that with somebody else. Look outside of yourself. So, so take what you have. What have you acquired? You turn that back out, right? So both of those, loving God and loving your neighbor, none of that's you, right? None of that is selfish. None of that is turned inward. The example might be that, but it's not, that's, not, that's not the goal. We're not here to learn to love ourselves better. We can do that pretty well. What we need to be able to do is, is learn to love God. And if you love God, you will love his people. You will love his creation. And so we, we, we orient that back out again. Um, one of the things that I want to... Is this thing on? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> one of the things that I would like to be able to do from this class is when you know I'm talking to people about you know beliefs and doctrines not not necessarily non-christians um, even people who are Christians like I was talking came up in government class somehow about um, whether the ethnic nation of Israel is separately saved from the Church of Christ you know the church or not sure. um, and I found that I was kind of in the minority, and I mean, it, it was government, so we didn't pursue the issue, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to show the connection with Scripture of my belief that I've been taught, and I, I know there is a connection, and I've seen it, but I can't remember exactly what it is, and I want to learn that kind of thing. Uh, I'm glad you, you said that, and, and the humility with which you say that is also um, noteworthy. It is, um, it is an ongoing, lifelong process. I don't know. I, I don't know about the rest of you. I am 40 years old. And um, exactly. I can say it again if you like. I, I can't believe how naive I was, you know, just a few years ago. Oh, I've come so far. But, of course, well, I felt that way when I was like 20. Oh, boy, when I was a teenager. But now I know. Now I understand. At, at 30, oh, boy, when I was in my 20s, boy, I didn't. But now I – does this go on forever? I mean, well, I'd be 90 years old. Oh, when I was 80, I was just so foolish. I just. <laughs> so it is. It is a lifelong. So even if you stick out all, stick with us all four years, uh, you'll have more to do at the end of that. Uh, it, not, it never really ends, but that's a good thing. I think that I, I can't speak for Sharon. Am here just out of curiosity. Number one, we've never been to a church like Christ Church. Me either. Never been to a church or even discussed theology. And here we are, perhaps spending up to four years on it. I've always thought that theology was for you PhDs and nobody else. I think that's a very, isn't that a very common kind of understanding of the notion, right? I mean, the very fact that we teach it in seminary kind of implies it's not for everybody, right? But like John was saying, why do we, why do we teach it in the seminary? We're equipping people to go teach it to others. I mean, that's ultimately the goal, right? But you're right. And this is, this is emblematic of our culture. You'll hear me say this many, many times over the weeks and months ahead. We live in a culture, we live in a time where serious study of almost anything, frankly, is frowned upon. 
but certainly when it comes to the things of God, it's not just, not just the atheists, not just the secularists. Our very own brothers and sisters in Christ don't really have a lot of time for that. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. Partly because it's work, but there's something also, for whatever reason, it's almost, almost offensive in their minds that we would do that, and certainly we wouldn't do it in a group, right? We wouldn't want to impose upon others that way. If I'm holding the mic, can I say something? Absolutely. As a pastor, I think, too, one of the reasons to think about this is because each and every one of you is critically important in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's right. One of the most difficult things for a pastor to do is to hear the conversation from someone, well, I was talking to someone, can I bring them to talk to you? And folks, Pastor Rankin and I can't be in your workplaces. We're not in your homes. We're not in your neighbor's homes all the time. You go places we don't and cannot go. You are on the front lines of the kingdom of God. The saving of souls, the building up of the saints, the exploration and building up of the church. And so we take that seriously, just like if we want to get in shape. You can tell the difference between people who take it seriously and people who don't. There's the person who shows up at the gym once every two weeks or three weeks. And then there's the guy that's there even when he's got the flu and he's hacking up a lung. He's still doing reps. Um, you know, this is, the, this is the way it is. We need to take our, our role in the kingdom of God seriously. Absolutely. It's hard to follow that up. Yeah, but, uh, you want to add something to that, Glenn? Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think, to, to me, I'm just wanting to know God better so that I can absorb it within so that I can kind of carry it, I guess, without, so that I can I can witness better. And, and I think this... Dr. Rankin said it so well, and I think First uh, Peter 3:15 says it really well. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked you reason for the, the hope that is within you. And I love this how it finishes. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. So, not being puffed up, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, but with gentleness, meekness, and fear, I think is another version of how that goes. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing, but not an easy thing. I have a picture that I've always had. It's one of my favorite things in the Bible. It's about Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. And that... When you study God to knowing, you can walk in the cool of the evening with God. And that's something I've always wanted to do, is to walk with him. I'm glad you mentioned that. That, that, is, a, that is a verse that's always been very meaningful to me as well. And when I was, um, when I was a much younger Christian, I used to wonder, what, what must that have been like? I mean, we can talk about having communion with God, but, but to have such communion that you walk with him. Not metaphorically, but literally, right? Um, what was that have been like for, for Adam? I, I don't know. On the other hand, here's something else that I think we can add to that. When we, we, we might, I do this all the time, even to this day. You look at the Old Testament and, you know, oh, there was a burning bush or there was a rainbow in the sky. God gave these signs, right? And, boy, if only we could have a sign, then we too could. Do you know what we have that nobody in the Old Testament had? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Moses would be jealous of us. Abraham did not have that in that way. So we do actually have a, a, an opportunity for communion with God that, that our heroes of the faith, at least the Old Testament heroes, 
did not really, remember, Christ sends the Holy Spirit, but only later, right? So it might not be the same as walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, uh, but we do have an opportunity, if we're willing to do it, right, to, to develop that relationship, to, to, to walk with God in a way that, uh, that many would have wished they could have, even people who did great things for him. Anything else? Any other observations? Any other expectations that I can fail to meet as we go along? If you keep your expectations low, I promise to fulfill them. One of the things that um, strikes me about the times in which we live is that, backing up one step, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know when I say, you know, we are, we are made for that communion with God, right? I mean, we were made with that purpose in mind. God did not make us to sort of shove us off. With some of my students this semester at the university, we're, we're studying the Enlightenment period and you know, sort of the, one of the religious tenets that comes out of that period, of course, is, is sort of the belief of often known as deism. You know, God created, but then he sort of left. He's absent. He's, he's not active. He's not superintending creation. He was just there at the beginning. The, of course, the famous example is a clock where you wind it up, but then, you know, it just goes, right? And that's how, that's how the deists viewed God. He made creation, then he, he left. Uh, but we know that that is not at all an accurate description of of. God's role in creation. He's always here. In fact, what does scripture say? Literally, creation coheres, sticks together because of Christ at every moment. That is to say, if he stopped for a fleeting second, creation falls apart. There's, not, there's no place where he isn't. There's no time in which he's not observing. It's, we are here. We live. We move and have our being because he is active and attentive and part. He's He's not absent. Uh, so that being the case, it's clear from the beginning we are made for communion with God. Now, since the fall, we've kind of kind of rejected that communion. This is not a good thing. This is very bad, right? And yet, it is we are made in His image. That hasn't changed, right? We still, in our hearts, this is the relationship we are made for. But sadly, we all know many people who don't recognize that. They, they, so there's a Everybody has that longing, that desire, but they will attempt to fill it with all sorts of other things. And, I mean, just look around our culture. We are very creative. Wasn't it, wasn't it Calvin who uh, referred to the human heart as an idol factory? An idol, not idol as in not doing anything. Idol, you know, O-L, as in creating something to worship. We are very good at making up gods, things to pursue as though it were God. None of them satisfies this is, this is, by the way, this is a tremendous advantage that we have over, over those with whom we speak and share the gospel. We have the joy of the Lord, right? That is, they don't. And we know that going into the conversation. No matter what they say, no matter what they might express, or no matter, we know that there is something very important missing from their lives. And we have the opportunity to share that with them. That, that is, it's like, you ever heard the expression from the untouchables, like taking a knife to a gunfight? We brought the guns, they brought the knives. Maybe that's not a great analogy for witnessing, but you understand what I mean, right? We only, we only improve that situation by digging deeper and deeper into God's word and understanding him more and more. As I said, it's a lifelong process. You will not finish uh, this side of heaven. But by golly, we get to do it together. And that's, this is, this is going to be a fun, fun thing that we do. I, I actually, when, uh, when Duncan first brought this up, 
I was literally, I could, I could feel my heart accelerate. I was like, yes, yes, this, this is why we're here. This is a good thing. This is, this is an opportunity that we all have together. And I realize that we're talking about a long-term project. I know that, you know, people will come in, they will come out, there will be opportunities to work together, but there will be times when we go apart. I understand all that. Uh, but I am looking forward, I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to spending this time with you all, working, struggling, pushing through, and, and getting to know our God better together. It will have, us, have the effect certainly of bringing us closer to God, but also will have the effect of bringing us closer together as well. And then, as we've said earlier, making us even better tools to go out and, and, and be of, of use in his kingdom. We have just a couple minutes left. I don't want to sort of uh, just sort of shut everything down. I would like to ask, we, we have tremendous plans. We have lots to do together. But do any of you have any, I don't know, is this an appropriate time to ask any questions, make any comments, anything that you want to say right now in the last few minutes that we have? I've, I've, I've been totally curious ever since I walked into the room. What is the diagram on the board about? It's not my diagram. I don't feel as though I can simply, it's like confessing somebody else's sin. I, don't, I can't do that. But you'll love it. It's a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what they call in the TV business a tease? That's a teaser. It's a teaser, yeah. Teaser. Yeah, yeah. You might go the rest of your life not knowing what that is if you don't come back. <laughs> it, is, it is all of theology in symbolic form. Mm. <laughs> we should save that for the end. Well, folks, let me say uh, we are very delighted that you're here, and we are uh, definitely looking forward to what we can do together in the weeks, months, and maybe even years to come. Uh, so please come back in two weeks, not next week, but two weeks, and we will pick up exactly where we left off. Thank you all very much. All right, as we get up. That's a good question. That's Is there any question. other reading to be done, Master Teacher? Yes. <laughs> if you will read the first uh, two chapters of Bite Sized Theology, that will be a great help. Hey, we have a, those of you who might need a copy of a couple extra copies of the syllabus up here. I know many of you got it electronically, but we have some hard copies up here if you need them. The other, the other thing I want to encourage you to do is as you're doing your reading or as you're looking at the syllabus, if you have questions, email them. Mm-hmm. Write them down. Email them in. Don't, don't wonder about a passage for two weeks and let it prevent you from going forward. You know, we're here all the time, and we would be delighted to respond to, to questions. And, and oftentimes I think what will happen is you'll get a teaser of an answer and then also ask that in class because that would be good for everyone to hear, uh, to be able to do that. If you need any help purchasing the materials, or you're confused about anything, please let us know. We're here to help you in any way that we can. And so what I'd like to do then, now if we could, is to close us in a word of prayer.